with this pandemic, what it's reinforced is that there is a chain reaction and that we are part of a system and that we do have power in that system and that we do have impact. Hello and welcome to One Bite, a podcast exploring the Australian food system. I'm your host, Xavier Callio, a food researcher and sustainability student at the University of Sydney. This series focuses on the impacts of COVID-19 and how we build back better. We will meet Australians working from farm to fork and beyond, gaining diverse perspectives on our food system and how we can shift to more sustainable, resilient and fair food. So grab your knife, fork and spoon and join me as we digest the Australian foodscape, one bite at a time. Hello and welcome to One Bite. Xavier here. Today I'll be speaking with Alice Zeslavsky, aka Alice in Frames. I'd like to start by acknowledging the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of the lands that I'm on, and pay my respect to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Alice Zeslavsky is a food literacy advocate, resident culinary correspondent for ABC News Breakfast and ABC Radio, author of In Praise of Veg, Alice's Food A to Z and creator of Phenomenom, a free digital toolbox helping teachers slip more serves of veg into the curriculum. So welcome to One Bite, Alice. It's great to have you on. Thank you. Great to be here. And what an intro. So I wanted to ask you, what are you really enjoying eating right now? Well, like right now, right this second that I'm staring at is a beetroot chocolate brownie that I baked yesterday that I'm really enjoying eating 85% of the time because I managed to throw in half an egg's worth of shell into the food processor. So every now and then I get like a bit of shell grit and it's the actual worst, but the brownie's so good that I'm like gritting my teeth through it. (laughs) It's the worst. It's so bad. So I want you to know that it happens to all of us. Pushing on through. (laughs) I should know better, but I don't. So could you tell us a little bit about your journey into food? Mm. My journey started, my professional journey started as a teacher so the way that I fell into food is through a little show called MasterChef where I auditioned for the show because I'd just done a course about kind of improving my home cooking skills and they were bumping our course out and bumping in the MasterChef auditions and I figured what a perfect opportunity to learn more about food and to meet interesting people and just to be immersed in it and at the time I was trying to pitch an elective to my heads of school to do like a food culture elective for my kids and I thought if they saw me on TV they'll want to do my elective so it was very much an organic process and after the show um, the kids definitely thought I was way cooler but so did um, when I went back to school, they were just like, oh, my God, it's Alice from MasterChef. And I said, OK, firstly, it's Miss Z. It'll always be Miss Z to them. They, they still they're in their 20s. They still call me Miss Z when they slide into my DMs. But also, why didn't you want to hear what I had to say when I was your teacher? You know, I'm still the same person, still got the same views. So I realized what a platform MasterChef had given me. And so the last close to decade, I've been in the food media, in the food literacy space in the sense of. I guess, trying to encourage policymakers and key decision makers to think about food literacy as just as important as learning to read and write. Yeah, and I think that it is, and I think it's very important, and we will dive into that a bit more in this interview. Can't wait. But I just wanted to ask you, uh, you're based in Victoria, just outside of Melbourne, and, and what's the kind of COVID impact been 
for you and and for your kind of networks because I know you're quite involved with some of the hospitality people down there. Yeah, I um normally I um would be doing a lot of live stuff throughout my week, but because everything went digital, it kind of I think it kind of concentrated people's attention to what everyone's been up to. So it kind of was an opportunity for me to help to showcase my industry through things like the Taste Dining at Home series and Click for Vic where I'm kind of encouraging people to think about the producers and the providers of the food the amazing produce that we have in in Australia and then in terms of our own sort of personal experience with COVID and lockdown all of my stuff has been broadcast from home so in March I got a phone call from my news breakfast you know ABC news breakfast team and they said we're not having anyone in studio so can you do this from your home kitchen so since that was March so since then we've set up a home studio I suppose with you know great broadcasting gear I've now got like a camera switcher so I can do multi-cam. I'm like a busker on the street, but on Zoom. And so, yeah, I think COVID's kind of encouraged us a little bit like a bit of sand grit in a shell, in an oyster shell, is that it's kind of helped to polish my performance and, and hone what it is that I enjoy doing and I want to do more of. Yeah, yeah. I think that P word that we've all heard mm-hmm. many times, pivoting. Yeah. It's a lot of people have had to do that. So something I wanted to talk to you about is the cultural disconnect from food. And, you know, we sort of see that in terms of people's intakes of fruit and veg and our intakes of kind of fast food. But then on the flip side, there's a bit of a fetishization of perfect food across the socials and that kind of thing. So there's kind of these two things happening at the same time. Mm, I think that food is... It's one of our primary needs, right? If you look at Maslow's hierarchy, it's you know pretty high up there. And so we all have to eat. So obviously I think that to some level we all think about food in some way, whether that is the absence of, whether that is the obsession with, you know, through things like orthorexia or, you know, or on the flip side, the obsession with because it's a passion and it's a joy for you. Um, so I think that that's why it's probably so keenly felt where you sit on that. Um, in terms of people's intake of fruit and veg, I'm trying to formulate an answer that, that has, it's, you know what it is, food as a concept is so multifaceted in there's so much emotion in it. There's so much status in it as well. You know, it's very aspirational. So when you talk about Instagram food and the fetishization of it often it's talked about in negative terms I suppose because it is you know an obsession with perfect food I read a research paper just the other day talking about how perfect food in images acts on our natural perceptions of its healthy healthfulness and healthiness so um, in doing so when we see ugly veg we think that that is not as good for us when actually most often it's it's the opposite because it's kind of potentially it's an heirloom variety or it's been grown at home. So it's probably, what would I say? I don't think that we necessarily, that things are any different now than they were a hundred years ago in terms of people having very different notions of what's important to them in the food sphere. It's just that now it's a lot more visible where, where it is that we stand and what it is that we stand for when it comes to food. Yeah, and I think that, that ugly veg thing, 
you've sort of spoken about vegetables being a symbol of something much deeper and the way that we kind of other vegetables can can be kind of symptomatic of of other things holy you are xavier you are speaking to the choir here because i have a theory and it's an interesting one i think that vegetables if you think about it um who do we think about you know for, for, for people listening who is it that you think about when you think about vegetables it's probably your mother or your grandmother you know or, or a care a person that cares for you when you are young and so to me there's a, a level of the mother you know capital t capital m to veg and so that rejection of the mother is in turn a rejection of the divine feminine right which if you think about what we're breaking down, you know, a lot of those kind of patriarchal, performative, mas- toxic, masculine ideals that society has been built on for a really long time, all of that is coming crashing down. Um, and so I think it's actually no accident that plant-based diets and that, that vegetables are starting to be pushed forward. And that on the flip side, you've also got people who are very vocally rejecting it. And, you know, a lot of that machismo around the, you can't tell me what to eat. I know there's a quote, you know, George, George W. Bush saying, oh, you know, my mum forced me to eat broccoli, but now I'm a grown up and I don't eat broccoli anymore. Like it's that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think that probably there's a lot of collective unconscious action going on at the moment. And it's kicking up a lot of different conversations around and vegetables happen to be there as well so yeah i'm glad i'm glad that you brought that up that resonates with me very strongly (laughs) yeah i i did my homework Uh, (laughs) and and i do just quickly want to touch on the the master chef thing and and cooking shows and you know michael pollan sort of says we now spend less time cooking and more time watching cooking shows and Mm you know, I think there are those very aspirational elements of of some of these cooking shows and maybe some of the things that are being kind of put to the forefront in terms of food waste and in terms of seasonality need to be re-examined. Couldn't agree more. And if there's anything that threw that into light, it was that in the first lockdown, when the new season of MasterChef came out and there were, you know, there's obviously the final table. There are a lot of very high, fine dining, highfalutin shows out at the moment. And yet you've got the top Michelin stars in the world cooking at home with their kids, you know, baking cookies. And you've got chefs from, you know, top chefs from Australia showing what they do for their, you know, it was omelettes and chicken palmers, right? (laughs) So, yeah, I absolutely do think that we need to re-examine what it is that we encourage people to aspire to because that's essentially you know if we are putting it on television and and if we are glorifying it are we also then encouraging people to think that that is the most glorious thing that we can do with with that carrot you know is it that we need to what's the word I'm looking for turn it until it's just like a a little smidge of what it used to be and chuckle through the rest of it out you know we already waste 40 percent of the food that we buy so what can we do to encourage Australians and encourage people to rethink the way that they see food? Yeah. And, you know, I think that's where education comes in and a lot of the work you've done around education and and educating children and you've got kind of the phenomenon program. 
wonder if you could tell the listeners a little bit about Phenomenom. <laughs> Phenomenom with an M. Uh, that's not a that's not a typo. It's a it's a free digital toolkit for teachers and parents to encourage kids to fall in love with food and particularly fresh produce without ever using the word healthy, without ever showing them perfect plates and food pyramids. It's more about piquing their curiosity and encouraging them to make their own choices and their own decisions around food. A lot of the work and the research coming out of um, academia in this space speaks to the fact that what we've been doing for a long time is creating some really negative and reinforcing some really negative kind of perceptions of what food needs to be in order for kids to feel like they are doing the right thing. So what I mean by that is the notion of sometimes foods and good and bad foods and clean and dirty foods and healthy and, you know, junk foods, all of that language to adults, we understand nuance. Whereas for kids who are still very, very black and white, that kind of moralistic language around food is internalized and absorbed. So for a child to hear that the food that they ate for dinner last night at their house where they felt comfortable and safe was bad food because it came out of a box or whatever or a packet they will internalize that they in turn are bad so and here's the thing right their parents are doing their best their teachers want them to be their best they do but teachers too come to this space with their own baggage and so to expect teachers to teach food in a way that is nuanced enough for adults and yet respectful of that lack of nuance in kids when it's not their area of expertise which is what a lot of people in this space talk about we need more food education we need you know every kid needs to blah blah that's very fraught so as I step off my soapbox for a brief moment, <laughs> Phenomenom is funded by Hort Innovation. So that's the grower-funded research and development not-for-profit for the growers of vegetables, fruit, seeds and nuts in Australia. And when they and I were first speaking about this, I said that the program needs to be free because I want it to be accessible to everybody at every level of the socioeconomic sphere it needs to be integrated into every subject because I don't want this to be something that teachers need to find space for. I want the space to be found for the teachers in what it is that they're already teaching. Because here's the thing, when I was teaching, it was the food that was hooking kids into history and geography in the first place. So actually, we are teaching numeracy and literacy. It's just that food literacy happens to be slipped in there as well. Yeah, um, baking, and the final baking thing, a, sorry, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. baking your cake's a great way to look at fractions. Totally, you know, and um, looking at measurement, looking at um, following instructions, looking at some of the language and, you know, why not? use it as an opportunity to like con- compare and contrast a baking a cake recipe from this era versus the 15th century like what how does the language change there's just so much that i you know it's a, it's a real deep dive so that was so you know it's free it's all all in there kind of slipped into you know really like very kind of chunked into subjects that they're already teaching and it's meeting not just the kids where they are you know in not using language that doesn't resonate but also it's meeting teachers where they are because it's 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 kind of saying you teach maths you teach maths but it just so happens that you'll be teaching food literacy at the same time so we're about to launch some new resources as well and it's particularly speaking of covid times it's a food and mood resource pack 
So encouraging kids to kind of think about some of the things that they can do to help boost their mood naturally. And obviously fresh produce, you know, the more vib- the more vibration you have in your food, the fresher it is and the kind of vegetables in particular to me make me zing. So that's, that's how I think of them. But also what else can you do? There's mindfulness meditation, there's spending time in nature, there's doing some gardening, there's moving your butt, you know, all, all of that stuff will make a difference to your mood. So kind of arming them with the tools that hopefully if they need to find that resilience deep within themselves, you know, find that grit. <sighs> It's a lot. It's a lot for kids what's happening at the moment. And hopefully what we're going to provide them with is something that is helpful, not just for the classroom, but also for parents as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It is a lot. (laughs) And, and I think, you know, that food and mood connection is, is very important. And that also then connects back to the soil and, and sort of how our food is kind of grown and, and coming to us and, and you sort of talked about the labeling of different food and, and mm. dirty food being a bad thing but I know you really dig dirty food yeah I dig dirty food that's um so Simon Bryant who's one of my favorite chefs in Australia he's got dirty ink he's like you know eat dirty he says and he's so he's cooking the chef you know if I think of like naughty's chef, Simon Bryant is definitely up there and his vegetable cookbooks are fabulous. If your listeners are looking for recommendations, highly, highly recommend. But yeah, you know, if we if we truly want to eat in a way that's nutritious for our bodies, then eat dirty food, food that's been grown in dirty soil, you know, that, that's still got the, a myriad of of amazing nutritious what's what's the word i'm looking for bacteria and life exactly life life is the word xavier yes exactly (laughs) yeah and i think you know there's sort of the stephanie alexander kitchen garden program which is amazing and but again it's separate and i think the great thing about phenomenon is the integrated nature of it and the fact that it's aligned to all of the codes i was a high school teacher prior to this course so I can uh, appreciate the work that went into that. Yeah, well, so our curriculum specialist actually aligned the curriculum for Kitchen Garden to the Australian curriculum. So she was very mindful to make this as complementary to Kitchen Garden programs as possible because those schools are already halfway there. So what we're trying to say is, okay, awesome, you're in there for an hour a week, an hour a fortnight. What about the rest of the time? What else can we do to scaffold and reinforce this positive behavior and these positive kind of habits as well? Mm. Yeah, hopefully you've got some teachers listening that are just like, oh, this sounds good. I will check it out. (laughs) Please do. Yeah, well, a couple of my family members are teachers, so. um, Awesome. That's so great. (laughs) We'll go from there. And, you know, I think part of these programs as well is about actually bringing kids back into the kitchen and reconnecting with food on a much more fundamental level. Yeah, well, I think um, the kitchen for a lot of kids is an unfamiliar place to be, which is very is a very unfamiliar kind of feeling for me, I suppose, because that's where I grew up. But that's not the experience of a lot of people as, you know, dual working parent households have become more and more the norm. My my own included, you know, I was a, very much a latchkey kid, but I was very lucky that I had my grandparents living with us as well. And so, you know, I saw grandma in the kitchen. Anytime that mum was at home, she was probably in the kitchen. I was probably helping her. And so I'd really like that feeling, the connection that, that comes with the kitchen to be one that I can 
facilitate as often as possible, whether that be because the kid is the one that's in the kitchen first, you know, that would be nice. Empower them and remove those barriers. That would be that would be really, really good. Yeah. But you know, that what I keep thinking about is I was chatting to someone last week who mentioned that people are building apartments in America without kitchens, kitchenless apartments. And I, actually, you should have seen my face. I was like, oh, uh, what? Like, what's what is where the kitchen is then like what do you mean and she said well they're they're buying food out so much that they don't need a kitchen and because the space is so you know at a premium who needs it and it's just like i i I just can't even compute it i cannot compute it that's mind blown Uh. (laughs) right yeah and i don't know you know i think that i'm obviously i'm I also need to check my privilege, right? Because like I am coming from a very privileged perspective, not just from a being comfortable and having a home and all of those things, but also the privilege of growing up in a home where food was valued and and the kitchen was a, a, a place of comfort and safety and security. So, you know, I'm saying that completely with that in full check, but far out, <laughs> like, like make the, I don't know, uh, make the bedroom small like all you need in the bedroom is a bed all you need is like I, I just don't know <laughs> just there's so much more to the kitchen than a functional space yeah to me that yeah it's it's concerning that that is happening <laughs> especially when you kind of think about the knock-on effects of eating a lot of takeaway or or not being able to prepare your own fresh food and and we sort of see a lot of the costs in the food system externalized onto the health or the environment. Mm. So that trend is rather concerning. 100%. And then on the flip side, you've got so many innovations occurring based on high density urban living where people are trying to find ways to still fit in little growing you know mechanisms and I spoke to a guy just the other day who's got like a created a UV light to help the veg like to the fruit and veg grow inside and I just think that's just there's so much ama- amazing stuff out there and I think that we need to amplify those voices and as much as possible say hey it's not okay to build, <laughs> to build flats without a kitchen because you're not giving people the choice it's not you know when those people are moving in they're not saying oh yeah that's I'm going to take that apartment with without a kitchen, but if that's the only choice that they have, then that's then as you say, got knock-on effects for them personally, but also their community, their environment. It's whack. It's whack. Yeah, it's really whack. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to talk to you about how we communicate about veg, and originally I was thinking about it just kind of in terms of kids, but actually it's a lot broader, and it's how we kind of communicate as adults, but also to adults. And, you know, I think often people have had that incidence with a certain veg where it was murdered by a loved one trying to do their best. And and it, we just say, I don't like that. And you've said hedonism and health should not be mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Totally. So there is this preconceived idea that vegetables and fresh produce and eating healthfully has to be at the expense of deliciousness, which is bullshit. (laughs) Like, honestly, there is nothing better when you think about the notion of treat yourself. You know, if you really want to treat yourself, 
then treat yourself well, right? Treat yourself with food that is tasty and full of life and full of flavor and taste is nutrition. And so, you know, I think that for a long time, the notions of tasty food and deliciousness have been co-opted by big food because they know that emotion sells food a lot better than reason (laughs) and logic. And when people are told, eat it because it's good for you, that is something that speaks directly to that inner child inside of us that the last time that we heard that, we had to shovel something overboiled and underseasoned into our mouths. And the last thing that we want to do is treat ourselves to that. So if we want to reframe the way that people see that sort of food, then we need to reintegrate pleasure and enjoyment into fresh produce and into real food. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And, I, you know, I, I sort of think about that experience personally and, and for me it was uh, cauliflower that was boiled to death and I always just thought I'm not a cauliflower person until someone like barbecued some cauliflower with a tahini mm. sauce and blew my mind. Yeah, yeah. I think that unfortunately what happens is that if our expectation of those sorts of foods is that we have to eat them because they're good for us, then we try – uh, we don't try as hard to make them taste good, right? So because we're just like, that's not going to taste good ever. But as you say, brassicas love being burnt. Um, they love creamy sauces. And if there's a food that you as an adult are saying, I don't like it, then maybe what you should say is, I haven't liked what has happened to it in the past, but I'm willing to give it another go. And I'm going to challenge myself because isn't that part of, what being human is all about is, you know, not letting our identity be defined by our past. Yeah. Yeah. Praise be. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a wonderful segue into your new book in praise of veg, which I happen to have borrowed a copy from my corner smithies. It is absolutely delightful. It's about plant-forward eating. It's colour-coded. It's about loving your leftovers. It's dotted with history and a good dose of Alice's puns, particularly like (laughs) the one about the avocado. And anything that starts with garlic and ends with avocado, you've got me. Yes. I love that. What? I'm going to, that is my, that's my soundbite from this can you please like pinch that as my soundbite because you've really encapsulated what this book is about I I think that for a long time when people have read about vegetables or written about vegetables it's with like a a caveat or like a like with their breath sucked in I suppose you know and I know that because in 2016 I went about challenging myself to do 365 days of vegetables as a hashtag. And what I wanted to do was showcase all the different veg, all the beautiful things that have been said about them and really hero them, you know, champion them. When it came time for me to start Googling quotes, it was really hard to find nice things that people had said about vegetables beyond Jane Grigson and beyond a few other kind of, you know, tidbits here and there, everything was negative. And it, it came back to that 
negative perception, that negative narrative that we've fallen into. So I realized at some point, probably within the phenomenon journey as well, that if I was going to encourage kids to try veg, I needed to arm their parents with the skills and the knowledge and the enthusiasm for making that vegetable that they chose taste good. It's kind of like, where's the slam dunk? I can only lead that horse to the trough. You know, you need to make whatever's in that trough taste really good. So that's what, you know, Impraise of Veg is all about. So, and your emphatic nodding just makes me so happy. You know, I just, I'm so proud to see people holding this book because it's been such a labor of love for so long. And I hope, I truly hope that we can populate the quote quotosphere of Google with some of the stuff in this book, not just from me, because that's kind of the motivation behind. Are they post-it notes? They, they, yeah. I, 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 did, oh I did tell God. you I've done my homework. Uh... Holy crap. So, but I'll finish, I'll finish that thought. So what I've done is I've reached out to some of my favorite chefs in Australia and around the world, and I've asked them what their favorite vegetable is and what do they do with it? Because, you know, it's not just my words that I want people to use. I want to be able to say, you know, Anna Roche thinks that eating a tomato in the height of summer is like drinking a tall glass of water. Like, whoa, (laughs) right? Boom, mic drop moments on every page. I just, I just love it. Yeah. And I think, you know, opening that up to to others and other people's voices and perspectives is really powerful. and, And that's part of what I'm sort of trying to do here. So, the uh, mash, crackle, and pop, that to me looks very special. So it's a mashed potato and then you kind of crackle up, fry up the skin of the potatoes for that, like, crackle. I'm, I'm excited uh-huh. about that. Yeah, yeah. And then you use the leftover potato. Did you flip the page? Is that what you're going to say? I, I wasn't, but yep. go for it. The gnocchi. You use the leftover mashed potato to make gnocchi. And if you've got any leftover mashed potato after that, you can also make the mushrooms razi, which are like risoles stuffed with mushroom. So, you know, like, yeah, I'm glad that you got it from the Cornersmith girls because, you know, if there's anyone that knows how to use up their leftovers, it's Jamie and Alex. So, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that's brilliant. And something that both you and the Cornersmithies did, which had kind of never occurred to me, was that idea of, taking the sausage mince out of the the skin and, and because it's generally flavoured and delicious and this radicchio and sausage pasta looks amazing. Yeah, that's the bomb.com. Yeah. That's really, yeah. really good. Yeah, and you don't even need to, like if you can't be bothered making that, you can also just turn it into meatballs. Like you can just pop the, the sausage mince out in balls, fry that off and then put that in the sauce as well. Yeah, Easy. and I'm, I'm very happy that there's parsnip, Brussels sprouts and okra in here because praise to those three vegetables. And I actually grow a variety of red okra. I love it. And that red okra is so striking. It's beautiful. The only, the one weird thing I needed to ask you about was Mm -hmm. peanut butter, tomatoes and honey (laughs) and parsley or basil because. Yes. I do the peanut butter, honey, and banana, but where uh-huh. did the tomato come from? Think about tomatoes in that height of summer. They are so, so sweet, you know, especially if you're growing them yourself and you've got those little cherry tomatoes. So you've got the acid. If you think about peanut butter and jelly, 
the reason the jelly's there isn't necessarily for the sweetness it's there for the acid to cut through the richness of the of the peanut butter so that's what the that's what the tomatoes are doing in that is that they're the acid and the freshness and then you've got the sweetness from the honey and then you've got the crunch from the peanut butter and and the richness as well and then it's all topped off with some brioche and basil and tomato obviously are really good friends but basil's so fragrant especially when tomatoes are really good basil's really good right so that as a combo is like I want to I want to challenge you I want you to think about it but it also is so the inspiration behind it beyond a dish that I tasted years and years ago at a great cafe when I was a restaurant critic it was at a cafe in Melbourne um, square and compass I think that's what it was called the other thing is that there's a Sudanese dipping sauce that's also in the book that's a tomato and peanut butter combo and so this is kind of like well if you can do that then why not yeah. do this? Yeah, because, I yeah. mean, we do, we use peanut sauce in sort of lots of Asian recipes and that kind of thing. So I did kind of think, I was like, yeah, I can sort of see how that would work and I will try it and I will let you know. Yeah, try it. I will. Yeah, and you don't have to do the honey. You can keep it savoury if you want to as well. What's your favourite recipe? I mean, it's it's a tome. <sighs> it's like asking your favourite <sighs> child. <laughs> it is. Yeah, there are over 150 recipes in here. If I had to pick one, it, is it like the one that's kind of got the most like or the one that I think everyone should cook? So for the one that's got the most it's probably the borscht because that to me is like my childhood in a nutshell. It's the thing that my, you know, when we first came to Australia, my mum, you know, we didn't have a lot of money and mum would cook big pots of borscht because it was really all we could afford for us to have you know in the afternoons and it's still what we do with our veg box you know I whatever we have either in the crisper if I've had a long week or at the start of the week if I'm really motivated and I've got the fresh veg that all goes in a pot and I make that soup so you know wouldn't it be amazing if everybody had a pot of soup in their fridge all the time and then you wouldn't need to talk to people about getting their two and five because you just are (laughs) and it just is tasty so that one for sure and then I think the desserts, like there's so many really good veg desserts in there. There's the parsnip sticky date pudding, which is just like, uh, and I know you like parsnips, so yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the beetroot chocolate brownie, which I'm eating right now, is extremely good. The color is beautiful. It's like a magenta, no, like a wine color. It's beautiful. Even with um, eggshell, it's good. So Even with yeah. eggshell. Oh, my God, Xavier, I can't tell you how unpleasant the eggshell is. Please, please, for the love of all that is sacred and holy about vegetables, do not crack an eggshell into your food processor as you're blitzing this up like be sensible put it in a jug and then finally probably like in the dessert category so we've got the sticky date beetroot brownie the carrot cake that's my mother's in mother-in-law's carrot cake it's gluten-free the flavor is moist (laughs) the flavor is like spices and and the texture is moist and it's just yeah i'm i'm getting hungry just thinking about this stuff yeah carrot cake (laughs) is definitely up there for me in like a favorite dessert cake situation so (laughs) I just wanted to finish up by asking, what's one thing that is bringing you hope? One element and aspect of this whole COVID times, new normal, all of the other buzzwordy kind of bumper stickery ways that we speak about this time is the feeling that I had in that first lockdown 
where you could turn on social media and you could see that Massimo Bottura was stuck at home making ragu with his kids and that you could see that Mark Best was having a conversation with Claire Smith in London. You know, there was a real sense of togetherness that we're all in this together. It made the world feel so small. And I think that if ever we're all in our little hives aren't we like we all feel like we're in our little echo chambers where it actually doesn't matter what other people think or you know whatever it is and yet with this pandemic what it's reinforced is that there is a chain reaction and that we are part of a system and that we do have power in that system and that we do have impact on others in that system. So, you know, through things like Click for Vic, for example, the upshift in people purchasing from small producers has been enormous. And Australia as a market is naturally like we're a bricks and mortar kind of purchaser, purchasing mentality. This has precipitated a push into the online space. And so it's actually democratised the bougie farmer's market scene in a way where now Nana can have it delivered to her doorstep. She can support that producer that would otherwise not have access to her support and money and she would not otherwise have access to that produce that is more nutritious and delicious and probably going to encourage her to, you know, eat more interesting things. So what's giving me hope is that what we know is that we're at the crest of a wave we are within the shift of paradigms and all we need to do is continue to put our power and our voices and our dollar towards positive action and positive causes and that will drown out the rest of the stuff that pulls us, you know, normally would drag us down. So that's it. <laughs> these conversations this is what gives me hope yeah absolutely thank you so much that's great and that brings us to the end of one bite for this week i'm your host xavier calio and i've been speaking to alice zaslavsky about food literacy and veg ugly veg beautiful veg culturally getting reconnected to our food and alice's beautiful new book you can find more info in the show notes or head over to the website at onebitepod.com and alice do you want to spruik some links. When's the book dropping? The book is dropping November 3rd. It's out. So I don't want to like timestamp this podcast, but you are, you know, speaking of crests of a wave, eye of the storm, Xavier, you are speaking to a soon to be fully published big book author. Um, <laughs> so inpraiseofveg.com is where you can go to find out more about In Praise of Veg. Phenomenom with an m.com.au is where you can go for completely free food literacy resources. If you're a teacher, if you're a parent, if you're listening to this thinking my kid could really use some inspiration and so, so could I, that's where you can go. And if you want to talk to me, Alice in Frames is where you can find me on all the socials and aliceinframes.com as well. Yes, and I'll, I'll pop links to all of those in the show notes. And thank you so much for listening. If you do like the show, please subscribe, drop us a rate and review because it does help others find us. See you next time. Bye. Bye.